Ladies and gentlemen, VGs and Gucci's, welcome back to the Aftershock Podcast, um, Mr. Pixel, and with me is David Shock, and also joining us, we have, once again, from the Arkansas Outdoor Channel, Bo Bowles. How's it going, guys? I'm good. I'm good. How are you doing, Bo? Doing good. Everything, everything seems to be lining up pretty great down here in Arkansas. Welcome back to the show. It's good to have oh, you. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. Uh, I, people are probably going to be tired of me, you know, but. <laughs> well, we'll try and take the pressure off you this time. We'll, we'll, we'll try and carry a little more of the conversation. So we're, we're not tired of you. So that's all that counts. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> as long as the host liked you to hell with the listeners. Yeah, that's right. It's free. Yeah. Was it? What do you always hear? It's free entertainment. So. Yeah. Yeah. You can always just go to the library and like scroll past. Oh, that guy scroll past. Yeah. I, do it on, I, I do that to Joe Rogan all the time. I'm like, yeah, yep. no, yeah, no. Yep. Yeah. I, I jump around with him as well. Sometimes I rarely listen to him, but sometimes there's interesting people in there I want to listen to. So, well, if we don't put your name in the title, then they won't know. They'll download yeah. it, <laughs> put it in the description. We'll, yeah. get, we'll still get the numbers, right? We'll still get the numbers. Sneak attack guest. That's right. <laughs> Just put special guest. There you go. Com coming in from the back row. That's right. <laughs> Need some some wrestling music. You're running down the aisle and <laughs> jump and slide under the. Yeah, ropes. we got the old, the old Ultimate Warrior entrance. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Right, surprise! Now you're listening to me. <laughs> it's a bowcast. There you go. <laughs> so what do you got? What, what's uh what's what's lining up in your part of the world uh well right now uh i am in the process of uh planning and staging uh, a pretty big hike and a pretty big what they call bike packing trip um those are still getting worked out but they're lining up good and then uh on a more personal level uh i went and made my house payment the other day and the bank was like have you thought about refinancing and i was like no and they said we can save you uh -huh. over you know like seven or eight years off of your note and i was like okay let's do it so that's <laughs> that that's working out so uh i got that going i've got the two big trips going um my YouTube channel, I finally hit 1,000 subscribers. Yeah. Uh, thank, thank you, everybody. I greatly appreciate it. So yeah. I am now partially monetized. Uh, the gun videos, anything that shows me <laughs> shooting a gun is limited. But as long as I'm not shooting a gun. You somehow end up owing them money, however that works. I don't know. Yeah, pretty much. So... You know, the vast majority of my content is actually shooting guns, uh, right. trying out different guns, uh, you know, talking about my everyday carry, that sort of stuff. As long as I don't shoot the gun in it, it's monetized. If I do shoot a gun, it's partially monetized, which means that you're never going to get money from it because they don't even right. show people that for ads. So. Yeah. So, so the so the I was this was going to be one of the things I asked you about. So hitting that one thousand mark, that's when you can actually start being monetized. Or 
you have to have the 1,000 uh, subscribers mm-hmm. and you have to have 4,000 hours of watched content in one year. So oh, you got to hit okay. both of those. Okay. So that I've got seems, the four. That seems like a lot. 4,000 hours? That's four hours a person, a subscription. Yeah, you really, you get a lot more. That's why you, you need like a big catalog. That's why, you know, I've been doing videos on there basically for two years. You know, it each little minute adds up. And, you know, I've hit, I hit 4,000 hours my first year. And this past year, I've still been going four or 5,000 hours a year with no problem. But I just had to get those subscribers up. I got you. So, I mean, even if you don't have the subscribers, you you still have people that click on it and watch the video. So that, right. that counts. That yeah, counts. you still get those views and, and those minutes. It's just you've got to hit those two benchmarks, and then you've got to apply, and they sign off and approve, and yada, yada. But uh, I've got that. I just hit that. So, once again, thank you to everybody. I've got a big bike packing trip. I'm trying to work one of two trips on the bike packing. Uh, one here in Arkansas, we have what's called the uh, Arkansas High Country Route Loop, and it's actually three loops that intersect each other. And it ends up being if you do all three loops, it's 1,200 miles, and that's without ever leaving the state of Arkansas. Wow, uh, it's crazy how much I think it's something like you know. 100,000 foot of elevation change. It's a big, big route. So I'm thinking about that. If not that, I'm going to do the 300 mile loop, which is, it. I, I can tie into it about 10 miles from my house. So I can actually leave from my house, ride to the northern loop, do the northern loop and ride back home. So that's the the two trips I'm working there. And then I am planning on trying to do what they call a through hike, which is where you start at the start and you don't stop until you get to the end and uh, do a through hike of either the uh, Ozark Highland Trail or there's a trail south of us, the Wachita something National Forest Trail. I can't remember exactly what it's called, but it's a little over 200 miles. The Highland Trail is 160-ish miles. So... I've got those two in the works. So, yeah. How, how long would that take you? Say the, say the shorter one, 160 miles. Realistically, I can do hiking. I could probably do that in 10 days. You know, 16 miles a day. Maybe, maybe 17, 18 days total, depending if I, you know, took it easier one day or if I had a hard day one day, you know. But I, I can average... I can average 15, 16 miles a day pretty easy. Wow, that's impressive. And you're you're actually going to plan for this and not just do it last minute like your <laughs> most recent one? <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, I'll have to plan for it because I'll have to be off work. So I'll have to request a vacation time. Uh, this last one was just a... You know, it was a 60-mile bike race. Right. Uh, so it wasn't... It was, it was kind of spur of the moment. I was going to go ride gravel roads by my house. And like two days before, I was like, hey, they're doing a, a gravel ride. It's a race. I know I'm not going to win, but 
I'll go ride bikes with other people, maybe make new friends. And it's hard to make friends when you're in last place. But anyway. <laughs> well, you weren't in last place. You were in the middle, but you. Yeah. You, you I, been... <laughs> I, I started out pretty good and strong. I was in the middle. Uh, we were averaging, which the guys in front, I have no idea what they were. Uh, the group I was with, we were averaging about 15, 16 miles an hour, which is pretty good for gravel. And that was until about the uh, 30 mile marker, 27, 30 mile marker, somewhere in there. I kind of hit a wall. I'd burned up all of my energy. I, mm. I ended up, I uh, ate a couple of beef sticks, drank a liter of water. And by about mile marker 35, I started feeling good again. And, uh, you know, it took about five miles or so, five, six miles for, for that energy to come back. So I've got to get better. And this is, this is going off into the weeds on biking and, mm -hmm. and crap and diet and all of that. But generally I am ketogenic. I'm do okay. a very, I, I do a very low carb diet. It may not be true keto because I don't follow the exact guidelines for fat, protein, right. carbs. I just do a low carb, high protein esque diet. So it's close as I can tell people is it's keto and they say, Oh, okay. That. Right. But anyway, doing that kind of diet, what most people use when they're doing these endurance races and these longer bike rides is they will use carbohydrates to stay fueled. Right. So they don't they don't do what they call bonking. You hit the wall or you bonk. I bonked because I had ran out of everything. I was depleted. Mm -hmm. So right. the easy answer is take carbohydrates take stuff like honey or, you know, mm -hmm. sugary snacks, something like that. Right. But then that goes against what my normal day-to-day -day life is like. So I've got to find that balance if I'm going to keep doing these longer uh, endurance type races. Yeah. So I bonked at like mile 30, took me to about mile 35-ish to get back, uh, ran out of water at mile 40, so I had to go from mile 40 to mile 45 with no water, 90 plus degree heat, got water at 90 or at mile marker 45. I got water and they told me, Hey, you've only got 15 more miles to go. And I said, <laughs> Whoa, wait a minute. I thought this was a 50 mile race. And they said, well, it's 50 ish. So it ended up being, it ended up it's, being a 60 mile race. It's 59.99. So it's yeah. <laughs> Surprise. Yeah. You're not done yet. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've got a little bike computer, and on my computer it said 59.9, and I was one block away from the finish line. Ugh. So it didn't turn over from 59.9 to 60, but it's almost there. And then uh, I was the last one to finish. I, I wasn't the last one out on – I guess technically I was the last one out on the course because everyone that was behind me quit. Right. I was the last one to finish because everyone else quit. Right. But I right. did have I did have at least six or seven people behind me. So yeah. And that took you how long to finish? Uh right at seven and a half hours. Seven and a half. How much water uh, did how much water did you go through? <laughs> I drank six liters. Oof. And then on the way home, I drank an additional 40 ounces. And then when I got home, I drank an additional liter and it wasn't until the next day before I peed. So oh, all told, I, I probably was closer to 
probably closer to 10 liters of water. Damn. Did you, did that at least keep a lot of the negative side effects away from that exertion? Like you didn't cramp up bad or anything or have any other kind of issues that you'd get from being dehydrated? Uh, my voice got hoarse from being dehydrated and uh, I had some muscle twinges. I wouldn't call them cramps, but okay. I mean, you know, like when you're walking and you're kind of like, oh, I just worked out really hard and you take a step and it's like, ah, that's gonna, that's kind of tight. It was right. kind of like that. Uh, the next day I was fine. Uh, I just drank a bunch of water and uh, ate a bunch of pickles, uh, okay. pickle juice, stuff like that to give me the sodium back. Okay. So what was it? Was it loose gravel? So it was a rough ride or? Yeah, it was, it was really, they've got all of these different grades on what they call gravel racing or a gravel grinder is what the race is called. Uh, this had everything from grade two, which is really fine, sandy, all the way up to grade five. And which grade five is rocks the size of, you know, your fists put together. So Oof. you're talking going over loose stuff, downhills, uphills. It, it was, it was a rough trail. The guys who won, I don't, I honestly don't know how they did it. I mean, <laughs> the, the guy who won did it in three hours, three and a half hours. And that's Oof. 60 miles in three and a half hours works out to like what? 17 18 miles an hour and that's an average including going uphill when he went uphill he was going uphill at 18 miles an hour Oof. yeah it, it's pretty crazy i'm a long way away from there but uh i just did it for fun i mean there's another gravel race coming up in kansas next month it's a 63 mile which 63 mile is 100 kilometer and they call them 100 Ks, you know, obviously. So, right. Uh, that's most of the bike world does stuff in kilometers. Uh, you'll do a hundred miler. There is a hundred miler, a 50 miler, and then you've got a hundred K or a 50 K. Uh, but most people, when they set up races, they set them up as a hundred K. Uh, so there's that in Kansas next month. I'm thinking about doing it, but I don't want to, uh, I don't want to have to pay for the hotel, the gas, and the race entry just to go up there and oh, be yeah. be in last place again, and and then you know come home. It's just the money issue. Right. Uh, and then in October, there's another gravel grinder here in Arkansas, and it's a hundred k, and I'm going to do it. So that one's just I don't know an hour from my house or something. Okay. The one in the one in Kansas is only three or four hours away. So I would just drive up there the day of the race, but you have to sign up and check in the day before. Mm. So I could drive up there, find somewhere and sleep in a tent, but then that's not really rested up to do a 60 mile race. Right. So what's the, I guess, what's the, the reward for some of those? I'm sure it's on the high end. I mean, I know like some of these, uh, what like those, those crazy marathons that some of those do like the, the prize basically is an invitation to the next one or something like that, I believe is what I've heard. Or like you're, you know, you get an, inv an invite to like this other crazy one that's going to happen. So it's more of a prestige thing. Like, is this one of those kind of deals or is this more of a, like they kind of have like prizes depending on where you finish. 
it, it really it depends on the race. For example, okay. the the one that I did, they had plaques for first, second, and third. That was it. I mean, that's all you got. Some of them you get jerseys. Some of them you get a little medal. Uh, the Arkansas High Country Route Race, where they actually race that twelve hundred miles I was talking about mm-hmm. earlier. There's a race where they do that, and you get a belt buckle for it. Oh, okay. so. It's not a whole lot of money. This is kind of a you pay to play sort of thing. You really, I mean, you might eventually get sponsored if you're really good and get free bikes and money from like one of the big bike companies. But for the most part, it's just, I do it because A, it's tough. And right. I, like push, I like pushing myself. And B, I look at this kind of as a prep as preparation as right. uh you know if things go bad i know i can get on a bike and i can go non-stop for 60 plus miles to get home if i have to or to bug out if i have to i can hop on a bicycle if, if nothing else is running and gas is gone and it's freaking mad max i know i can take off down the road and i know i can get out if i need to right so it, it, it's a really, it's a three part for me. It's fitness, it's a challenge, and I look at it as being prepared. Right. What, uh, what, if any, I guess, how, how, how do you prep for that? Like gear wise, you, like your bike, like, is there anything special you got to do with your bike? Like, I don't know. I don't know much about bikes. I just, I just got done tightening the brakes on my, on my, one of my kids bikes a little bit ago and that's probably about the extent of that and adjusting the seat is about all i can do on a bicycle maybe put a chain back on when it comes off well they they've got tons of different stuff now i mean i i used to ride mountain bikes back in the the early 2000s late 90s me and a buddy of mine named rob short we used to ride mountain bikes everywhere rob rob could have been he could have been pro if he would have been somewhere other than arkansas uh, he was he was one of those guys that never got tired. He could pedal through anything and was fearless. And here I am behind him, you know, like, you go ahead. I'm just going to watch, you know. <laughs> he, he was he was fearless. He was freaking loved riding with him. But we rode regular mountain bikes then. Everything changed from that time until now where I'm getting on a bike again. Now you have road bikes. You have mountain bikes. You mm-hmm. have cyclocross bikes you have gravel bikes you've got a little bit of everything and each one the geometry is slightly different now what most people will tell you is you can drive and you can race whatever you want to race but they do have specific bikes that are made for gravel racing and they look if you didn't know what you were looking at, they look like a road bike, your old school 10 speed bike, you know, okay. with the, the curly Q down bars. It, that's what it looks like until you look at the tires and on the tires, they usually run about 20 millimeters to 30 millimeters bigger than what you would see on a road bike. And they're usually a more aggressive type gravel tire. And that's what they, they, they race on. Now, my bike that I've got is a Surly Bridge Club. It's a general kind of jack of all, master of none. Okay. People, people use them for gravel. Some people use them for mountain biking. Some people use them for commuting. 
you know, it, it's a blend of like all things. So it's not the best gravel bike, but it can be a gravel bike. Okay. It's not the best touring bike, but it can be a touring bike. So that, that was the reason why I got the Surly Bridge Club is it's, I can do basically anything with it. It's not the best at anything, but I can do anything. If I want to go and ride in town, I can go and ride in town on it. So does it have, uh, susp- does it have a suspension like the, the newer mountain bikes? No, I, it's a, it's what they call a rigid frame, uh, which doesn't really bother me. I mean, you just kind of get used to it. it. It's just everything. It depends on what you're wanting to do. Now, if you're wanting mm-hmm. to attack like some really hardcore, like single track, you want suspension. If you're going to be doing big jump suspension, but I'm doing like gravel racing, I'm doing road riding, uh, I'm doing bike packing, which is where you need your bike to be able to haul 30 pounds of gear. And, and that, that Surly Bridge, excuse me, that Surly Bridge Club does all of that really well. So best, so best style for a, a bug out situation would be? you One of two things, depending on where you live. Okay. Uh, if you're wanting a bug out bicycle, You'll either want a touring bike, something like a a Trek 520, uh, a Surly long haul trucker, uh, a Kona Sutra, one of those. Those are like the top three or four touring bikes. Okay. Now that's if you're going to be on mostly road or real light gravel. If you're going to be on gravel and dirt, you would want something kind of like the... uh, the Surly Bridge Club, a uh, Surly Midnight Special, uh, a Salsa Journeyman, a Salsa, uh, oh, what's that other one? Fargo. Something like that will will get you that mixture. If you're going to have to bug out like into the middle of the woods and you're jumping off of giant rocks and shit, you're going to want whatever high high dollar suspension bike you can find either by Specialized or Trek or something like okay. that. Yeah, I, I had an older Trek uh, probably about 20 years ago. Um, it was a mountain bike. But That's... Me, you know, my cousin and I would, would ride. But, I, I mean, I think we would do two or three times a week, maybe maybe 15 miles a pop. So it wasn't, it wasn't nowhere near like what, what you're getting into now. Well, the bad thing is, is like right now, I'm only doing one trip a week. I, I've got work Monday through Thursday, and then I go to the gym Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. So Wednesday is a rest day. Friday is I have to go and do all of my errands and pay bills and be a responsible adult on Friday. So really, Saturday is my free day. So Saturday, once a week, I'm getting on a bike and doing, last week I did 67 miles. You know, I just get on it and go. And that was all road. So that was a lot easier. It only took me like four and a half hours to do 67 miles. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's what we did. We rode a mountain bike on a road. So it wasn't, it wasn't the, the nicest of ride, but yeah, and it was, we would, we would do that a couple times a week, 10, 10, 12 miles, something like that. But that was, you know, post-workout or something. Uh, me and my buddy rob we we rode mountain bikes 20 years ago but we mostly rode them to the to the bar 
<laughs> we, we would, we would, uh, we'd take off from my house. I lived in downtown Fort Smith at the time and, uh, we were roommates. We'd take off from our house, which was this dirty old punk house that there was so much beer, <laughs> like stained into the wood that the, the wood everywhere was different colors on the hardwood floor. It was, it was, well, I'll tell you how bad it was. It was condemned when I moved out and they had to shut it down because they said it was too bad for anyone to live in. But anyway, <laughs> that's impressive. We, we would take off and we would just like shred all over town and out into the boondocks. And then we'd come back into town at night and we'd just ride up to the bar, go inside and park our bikes inside. So no one stole them. We'd drink a few beers, hang out, sing some karaoke, get back on the bikes and ride back to the house small town country living right there yeah so so not a tandem and no beer helmets no but <laughs> we probably should have had helmets we <laughs> i i'm of that generation where helmets were for sissies man i hate putting one on even now i'm like oh they're gonna make fun of me and then everyone looks at you when you don't have it on they're like what are you doing I'm like shut up Put your helmet on <laughs> Yeah, that was the, the main mode of transportation. So you're about a senior in high school where I grew up. Everybody rode a bicycle everywhere. Mm. We always lived too far out for it to be an average mode of transportation. I mean, when you're six to ten miles from the nearest paved road. <laughs> that's that's a little more out there than where how I grew up, I guess. Yeah. We, we had at least two stoplights. <laughs> Maybe three. Oh, yeah. So that's that's biking in a nutshell. Uh, now that we've scared everybody off from a, a, a guns and weapons podcast with 30 minutes of bike talk. Yeah, my, my ass is sore just talking about you riding 60 miles. <laughs> oh, man. The... Uh, I, I've, I've actually i've got two bikes i've got my surly that does everything and then i've got an actual road bike and my actual road bike the seat does not fit oh my god that that 67 miles hurt i mean oh. i was I'm, I'm finally today it doesn't feel so bad but i did that on saturday sunday and monday were pretty rough on my butt every time i sat mm. down mm. So, well, I mean, it sounds like you need to invest in a seat. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm no expert on the bike here, but they're expensive, though, man. God, the I like a good, like a good seat is like 150 bucks. Oh. Yeah, that'll hurt your ass too. Yeah. <laughs> I know <it. laughs> in a different way, <laughs> right? That I, I, you know, there's that saying: if you're going to be dumb, you got to be tough. So right now, I'm I'm working on that dumb and tough <laughs> instead of paying for that seat. So so collapse happens. You think you need to get a bike? Find a towel first, so you have some kind of cushion, <laughs> and you can throw it on the bike seat before you start trying to bug out. So, <laughs> Do you wear the padded bike shorts? I've is... got, I've got padded underwear. Uh, I don't have like the spandex suit that you see I'm wearing. A, I've, I've all since I don't know probably the last 15, 16 years. I wear long sleeve shirts almost exclusively outside. 
I just try to prevent as much sun damage and as much possible cancers, you know, I can. So even when I ride, I generally ride in some sort of sun shirt that's a long sleeve where everybody else is all mainstream and like skinny and their spandex shit. I just, <laughs> I wear, I wear some spandex type underwear that have pad in them. I wear a pair of shorts over that and then some sort of long sleeve shirt. Pictures or it didn't happen. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think he didn't, you did post a picture, didn't you? you I, I think he meant he wanted a picture of the underwear. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh well, well, as we'll long as, as long as you're wearing them. Yeah. We'll, we'll hold off until he gets one of those sperm shaped helmets too. <laughs> I got, I've got a helmet. It's not quite sperm shaped, but <laughs> mine's just a cheap one from Walmart. You know, like I said, I'm I'm not doing this to try to be the competitive guy. I'm not doing this to try to win money or races. I look at this as a three-part thing. A, I'm going to be in shape. B, I'm going to have a skill and push myself at something that's hard. I mean, I all right, let's get into this more into what the average listener for this channel likes, and that is the prepping and gun stuff. If you don't do something that's hard, if you don't do something that pushes yourself, how do you know that you will ever be able to do that when the time comes? If you've never been punched in the face, how do you know you're going to be able to take a punch in the face? If you've never pushed yourself to where you're hurting and you're dehydrated and you just want to quit, but God dang it, if you quit, you will hate yourself. If you haven't been there, how do you know how you're going to react when you do get there? Mm -hmm. So David Goggins is like my spirit animal on this. And he's right. You have to build it like a bulletproof brain. Your mind is the weakest link. And it's going to be the weakest link when shit goes bad. I guarantee you right now, if there was a giant emp or if you could snap your fingers and every cell phone and the internet went away like that just cell phones and internet you would see an unprecedented amount of people committing suicide just from internet and cell phone withdrawal i guarantee you from the age of 30 to 16 there would be mass suicides because they never put themselves in even that little bit of an uncomfortable situation where you don't have the internet where you don't have your phone you know people forget their phone they'll turn around and drive back home to get it they'll make a 20 minute out of the way detour to get a new charger because they're at 10 percent if you're not ever making yourself uncomfortable how the hell do you know what you can and can't do right that's i mean uh, you know Along that lines, Bo, we picked up the uh, a ten year old. My fiance's ten year old went to Florida with her friend last week. We we picked her up, made it a mile away from her friend's house. We had to turn around to go get her tablet that she forgot. Freaking out and freaking yeah. out. It's crazy. It's it is. And if you've never, if you don't make yourself uncomfortable somehow, every day you you're you're fucking up. 
I mean, you need to make yourself uncomfortable somehow, whether it's uncomfortable physically because you're trying to do push-ups and you can't, whether it's uncomfortable mentally because you're having to leave your dip at home on purpose or your cigarettes home, you know, do something every day. Don't drink a soda for a day if that's what you're addicted to or what, what your weakness is. You know what your weaknesses are. You need to find your weakness. You need to know what your weakness is and then just work on it not being as bad. For me, that's kind of the, the whole thing with the hiking, with the biking, with all of that. I want to make myself harder to kill because I know that I know how bad it feels. I know what it feels like to be punched in the face. I know what it feels like to, to have shit sucking and to, to work through that. Well, even from a not even going into like a psychological perspective on that, just on a planning side from that, if you end up in a situation, you like, okay, well, I can't hop in my car and drive, you know, 10 miles down the road to wherever I need to get to. You can say, well, I've rode my bike that far before and it took me this long you know how so there and back it's going to take me this you know this long at how much time or if you're walking or running like you know if you run a lot and you say okay i know i've done this many miles before it usually takes me this much and i usually slow down about this much every mile after that if for whatever reason you've got to <laughs> you've got to run or you've got to walk somewhere you know about how long it's going to take you and then you can plan out from that yeah. point how long it would actually how much time you actually have you know average and to me the average person and their bug out or you hear bug out the average time you hear bug out it's all bull crap it's people who have the prepper fantasy going on in their brain thinking that they're going to bug out but a bug out might not be the I, I think we need a different term we need something to where you're prepared to leave without it being called a bug out because I think bug out has been taken over to where it's all basically fantasy crap. You know, like you said, if I go on these hikes and I know that using the pack, I can load it with 30 pounds, I can do 15 miles a day of rough country. And, you know, okay, so I need to get away from here because of this, maybe not necessarily it's a bug out, maybe it's something man-made, maybe it's a nat you know, natural disaster, mm -hmm. whatever the case might be, my vehicle isn't working. I know I can do 15 miles a day. I know that in two days I'll be 30-ish miles away you know, from, from here right. or whatever the case might be. And, and it's the knowing yourself and knowing that you can push it because you've already done that, you've already made yourself uncomfortable by doing that 15 mile hike. Mm -hmm. you, you've already hurt, you know, your muscles are sore because you know what a 30 pound pack feels like or a 40 pound pack or whatever. I, I think people, specifically people in the prepper community and in the gun community, they don't like to make themselves uncomfortable as a general rule. Mm -hmm. Not all of them. There, there are guys out there that are hard chargers. There's guys on wasted ammo that I guarantee you they do harder shit than I do. They just don't talk about it. There's people out there 
who, you know, the guy who beat me by three hours on the freaking bike race, that's, you know, there's guys out there who have pushed themselves further and they are more advanced than I am. I'm not the end all be all. I'm not, you know, Mr. Guru. My thing is, is I just want to make for sure that I do as much as I can in case anything ever happens. To me, the word, the word bug out seems like a glamour term because I don't know many people that have a quote unquote bug out location. I got me a hundred acres in, in wherever in Montana that I'm going to, I'm going to ride a bicycle to. And that's, that's where I'm going to hang out when shit hits the fan. So to me, I feel like the, the bug out term and what the way people use it loosely is, is kind of glamorized of like, well, you know, if something bad happens and I'm just going to bug out. Well, is that the case? You know, how, how many people are just, I mean, why wouldn't you just stay home? You know, defend, I, defend I, what you have, where you're at kind of thing. I could, I can see, you know, for example, uh, people who live in New York City. If you, if you cut off water to New York City or, you know, clean drinking water or electricity, I mean, it's a place like that's going to be crazy. It's already too crazy for me. I can't wrap my head around how many people live in New York City. I mean, I, I'm a country boy. I like not being able to see my neighbor's house. You know what I mean? I, that, that's what would be perfect for me is to walk out my front door and not see anybody. So I can't imagine being in a building and being in your one bedroom, one room apartment that has 8,000 other people in it, that's bigger than the nearest two towns. You know, one building in New York has more people than I have in the nearest two towns to me. So I can imagine in a place like that, especially me, I would freak out. Water's out, electric's out. Like it could just be a blackout and I'm going to be like, okay, I got to go. <laughs> it's going to get bad. Uh, no, I mean I totally agree with you. I, I'm 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 more thinking of the, the the prepper people that have that mindset. You know, our our listeners are probably more rural America, not the New York City, because that if something happens, it's going to be chaos, and yeah. maybe a third of the people make it out. Half, you know, a third of the people get stampeded and don't make it out, and then a third of the people just stay there and and cross their fingers that something good turns around and the electric turns back on right so so i think you know not not to say that you know we're outside of that but we're kind of i, I want to say we're a different breed different yeah. mentality than that because of where we are you know mr pixels in indiana i'm in ohio you're in arkansas we're all in kind of midwest you know rural america small-ish town you know bugging out looks totally different for us than like you said getting out of your building with 8000 people is going to be a challenge you know yeah. i'm going to i'm going to head home to germantown ohio that still only has maybe 5000 people there to my parents house because it's more rural than where i'm at if if i'm bugging out and that's a you know that's a 30 minute drive in a car you know, if my car starts, if not, yeah. I'm staying home and I'll defend what I have here. But, you know, it's a, it's a different mindset where to me, the bug, the bug out 
if you're not in New York City, it's more of a, that's a glam term. You know, are you putting 30 pounds in your backpack and leaving the house? Because that's it. I mean, you got 30, you got 30 pounds worth of food or whatever you're taking. And then you're going to live off the land. I, I have more than 30 pounds worth of stuff and food at home. Yeah. And I got plenty well, of ammo to defend that. My neighbors are cool. You know, I don't think they're going to come in and kick my door down. And I, I know, I know one neighbor knows that if he kicks my door down, he's going to have problems. <laughs> he's going to have lead issues, you know? Yeah. Um, Darn it, lead poisoning. Yeah. Yeah. One neighbor knows that the other one's an, an older lady. I don't think she's coming over to kick my door down. If she does, <laughs> I'm going to have advance notice that she's kicking my door. Um, you know, so there's, there's not a whole lot around me at the moment. So, you know, to me, bugging out is not going anywhere. I'm, I'm right. I'm staying home. I'm going to, I'm going to defend what I got. And and if I need to venture out and go get supplies, then that's what will happen. But there's plenty of deer and coyote and meat in the woods <laughs> around me. So, <laughs> Well, well go ahead sorry i was gonna say dave didn't you just don't you have a garden too that you planted this year or something uh, that i'm gonna tell you that went horrible did it <laughs> I, you know it's, it's <laughs> i've been meaning to ask you about that <laughs> you haven't you haven't seen anything posted from me on the homestead page on discord because that it, it i'm gonna it's weird because two years ago we had so many cucumbers zucchinis and tomatoes it it just didn't it, i mean we we couldn't get rid of them fast enough so the last two years we couldn't get anything last year was really wet we had a really wet spring i had i had garden boxes that i built out of old deck wood when we took our deck out so it was off the ground and it we had such a wet spring that everything stayed wet we couldn't plant anything it didn't grow this year nothing grew. And I really honestly don't know why I took the, um, I took the planter boxes out. I bought a tiller, spent 700 bucks, tilled up the ground two or three times. We planted seeds directly in the ground and we got nothing. So I just rode over it with the lawnmower. So we had a, a good year, two years in a row. And we basically stopped our cupboard and which a lot of people don't, realize this who who don't can and who does don't have their own garden that stuff really only has about a 14 to 18 month lifespan you know for your home canned goods so this year we didn't we didn't even try it was it was wet to begin with and we knew it was going to be wet so we didn't even break ground this year and we're just living off of the stuff that we canned before that way it's not going bad now Technically, yeah, I'm kind of dipping into supplies, but at the same time, it's it's stuff that had to be used before too long anyway. Mm-hmm. Now, talking about the, the bug out thing again, uh, it was the the bug out episode that the guys did, the uh, Steve and Eric, that got me listening to the original uh, Wasted Ammo. And uh, I just happened to find it. I was at work one day looking for podcasts and I typed in bug out and I found it. And bugging out is the reason why I got into hiking, uh, got into backpacking, I guess, technically hiking. It's so weird the 
how people fight over words. Hiking is when you go for a walk in the woods. Backpacking is when you go in the woods and you stay. So uh, I got into backpacking on accident because I wanted to practice bugging out is what my original intention was. And I bought some gear and I had some stuff that I thought would last and would be good for bug out stuff. It was heavy as shit. I mean, my initial very first time bag was probably close to 45 pounds. And that was for like two days, three days. And it was just, everything was heavy. Everything was canvas. Everything was like bushcraft more than bug out more than the, the stuff that they use for hiking and camping. So after just a couple of trips real close, I realized this wasn't going to work. And then I bought some lighter gear and I'm like, okay, this will be my new bug out gear. I'm going to use this. And I did 17 miles with a 35 pound pack. And I had planned on doing 40 miles. I honestly thought 40 miles, no problem. 17 miles in, I stayed the night and the next morning, I walked to where there was cell phone coverage and I called my wife and said, come get me because I was hurting. I had busted up my feet, my legs were hurting, my hips were hurting. And I, she came and picked me up and on the way home. I said, I've got to do something else. And that's when I started looking into what these people who live out of their backpacks doing these, you know, through hikes of the Appalachian Trail or the Pacific Crest Trail or, you know, these thousand plus mile hikes. I was like, OK, I need to start seeing what these people are doing. Mm-hmm. And one of the one of the biggest surprises is they don't use hiking boots. They don't use like these big, heavy, tough military hard leather boots all of them use trail runners like you know freaking what you would use for cross country track and i'm like okay that can't work you're gonna break your ankle you're gonna do this and i see them do it i see them going thousands of miles in a freaking tennis shoe basically and it goes against everything i had ever thought of when i thought go out in the woods you need the toughest shit that you can find. You need mm-hmm. you need that canvas backpack. You need those big, thick leather boots. You need, and these people are like, dude, I'm wearing a pair of shorts and I got a shirt and I've got two pairs of socks and I got two pairs of underwear and I'm wearing these ultra lone peak shoes and they are gone. And I mean, they, they live out there for six months at a time. What, what, what is it? Uh, ounces equals pounds? Is ounces equals ounces equal pounds and pounds equal pain yeah so there there are people who get crazy into it i'm not at the crazy level i'm at the okay this makes sense level (laughs) that's what a crazy person would say (laughs) no no trust me because my backpack weighs roughly 20 pounds 20 20 pounds with a cup 20 25 pounds with a couple of days worth of food these people are going out there with like eight pound packs with food. They're sleeping under a tarp that is made out of Dyneema that's four foot wide by six foot long and it just barely covers them. And I mean, there's some crazy people who are into this stuff. And, you know, I, I haven't fallen off of the deep end. I'm in the pool. I'm just not in the deep end yet. <laughs> so so it, the, um, the 1,200 mile trip you were talking about how much how much food do you take and how much food do you find uh well 
with this being the trip that I'm kind of thinking of, it's going to be more of like a tour and less of a race, less of a, I'm going to try to hurry up and get from point A to point B and point B to point C. I'm just going to kind of go. And with the fact it's all in Arkansas, if I have any major problems, if my bike breaks and I'm too far away to ride it to, you know, a freaking bike shop or whatever, I can always call someone local because it's all basically here. And yeah, I might have to wait three hours for someone to drive to me, but I'm not like stranded, stranded. You know what I mean? So you're not, you're not taking 10 days worth of food with you. There's no, I'll stops along the way kind of thing. Yeah, there, there'll be stops along the way. There'll be restaurants along the way. Uh, it'll be probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 to 100 miles a day. And uh, depending on where I'm at, I'll stop, camp, cook dinner some night. I might ride, you know, if I'm passing through town, I might stop and have a burger somewhere. You know, because there are towns along the way of this route. So it just kind of really depends on where I'm at and the mood I'm in. But uh, like I said, I'm looking at this more of a, a tour and less of a race. Now, the people who do this race, they carry most of their food or they will carry enough to get them halfway. And then they will resupply at one stop and then go the rest of the half. The ones who do it on a race, they do it in just a few days. I mean, they're, they're riding 18 hours a day or, you know, 20 hours a day, sleeping one hour, two hours, getting up and going again. So, I mean, the, the, the bike racing, the endurance bike racing is the exact same as these endurance long races that, you know, Zach Bitter does and that Calm Haynes does and David Goggins does where you're trying to win. I'm not looking at it as trying to win. It's not a race for me. You're, you're doing it more as a tour. I'm doing it as a tour and I'm probably going to be doing it as a, a couple of installments on my YouTube channel. So it'll be kind of like, here's some sites. Here's me on a bike. Here's me camping. Isn't this a cool tent? Look at this place. It's a nice restaurant, you know, that sort of thing. I got you. All right, everyone. That's where we're going to stop for now. I hope you enjoyed a different kind of subject, some different material. Uh, hopefully there was something in that conversation that made you think or maybe just some new information that you didn't have uh, before you, you listened to all this. But before we go, I got one more thing. Do you like patches? And I'm not talking about the kind that you use to patch your clothing up and fix holes. I'm talking about the ones with Velcro that you slap on, the tactical stuff. If you do, head over to the Wasted Ammo Facebook page. Or check out our Instagram, it's aftershock underscore podcast, and check out our first patch. It's a limited run, and all the details to purchase one are in the post. If you're not on either of those platforms, and you still want to know what we're talking about, hit us up at aftershock.podcast at protonmail.com, and we'll get you straightened out, alright? On behalf of Dave... Bo and myself, uh, we'd like to thank everybody for listening and thank you guys all for the support. I know Bo really appreciated everybody helping him get up over that thousand subscriber hump that he was trying to get over. And we appreciate everybody, you know, all the feedback and all the interaction we're getting online. But I'm going to quit rambling. All of you have a good day.
Have a good night, whatever time of day you're listening to this. We'll see you guys online, and we'll talk to you later.